welcome to the Chapter 49 podcast for July 16th, 2021. This is a weekly offering from NTEU Chapter 49, representing most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a communications volunteer with Chapter 49 and a retiree. If you like this podcast and wish to share it with others, All you need to do is go to one of the many platforms where this podcast can be found, including SoundCloud, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and there are actually many more than that. Just go to those any one of those platforms and search using the phrase podcasts by Larry Lannan, L-A-N-N-A-N, and you'll find all the podcast series I produce. They include others like film reviews and some local uh, podcast discussions uh, where I live here in Fishers, Indiana. So when you look at that listing, just uh, check the Chapter 49 podcast. They will be there. So allow me to once again bring in my regular co-host for the podcast, NTEU, Chapter 49, President Duncan Giles. Uh, Good to have you back, Duncan. Good to be here, Larry. And we are quite honored to have our first IRS management official as a guest on this podcast, Andy Reitmeyer. He holds the position of IRS Engagement Officer for the Human Capital Office, or as we call it HCO internally, and he's within the Engagement and Retention Office of HCO. So, Andy Reitmeyer, thank you so much uh, for carving out some time in your busy day to talk to us. Absolutely. Thank you, gentlemen, both so much for inviting me. I'm going to turn this over first to Duncan Giles. Andy, you know, you and I have talked, uh, known each other a long time now. Why don't you explain a little bit to the folks that are listening what you do in the engagement office and what you uh, what you try to accomplish on a daily basis? Absolutely, Duncan. So um, it's actually probably the best job that I've ever had uh, in my long career. Uh, As the engagement officer and leading the engagement and retention office, uh, I like to say that we're really responsible for helping to make the IRS a great place to work. And uh, we make it our personal responsibility that all 80,000 plus employees across the IRS, we care about how we can make it a great work environment for them to come to work, to be excited, to have a lot of ownership and pride in what they do. And really, we look to dig deep into who we are as an organization, what we do, why we do it, and connect the dots for everyone from that everyday work that you do to the great service we provide to millions and millions of folks uh, across the country every day. And one of the things that I wanted to talk about is you know, a lot of people say, you know, I've taken FEVs. It doesn't really matter. You know, you see this pulse survey, what's it about? What what impact does it have? You know, what goes on with that? And, you know, like the team that I've been on uh, since its inception, the Leap G team, you know, people, people are so jaded nowadays that they don't think that any of this is looked at, listened to, things of that nature. Can you speak to what you, uh, in particular, what your office does with that type of stuff? Okay, so any employee feedback mechanism, Duncan, whether it's a pulse survey uh, or emails that come in to uh, our engagement mailbox or the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey, that's really the bread and butter of what we do. You know, we thrive on employee feedback. Uh, We always say that 
if you don't tell us what's going on, what's working, what isn't working, if there are issues, there's no way that we can sit here and the 20 of us in the engagement retention team, we are not mind readers. We need to hear from everyone to tell us what's happening so we can put together strategies and efforts to build on everything that you tell us. And that's really the biggest part. You know, everyone talks about, oh, when we get the survey, we can't wait to have the survey results to see what the results tell us. But a lot of individuals miss out that the first and most important thing that we get from the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey is how many folks participate. Because if we can make you feel comfortable and we can give you that trust that you can come to us in that confidential manner through the Employee Viewpoint Survey or through our Pulse surveys and tell us exactly what you're thinking, that's the first step towards success. Because it means that we're creating an environment that you feel comfortable and you believe that we truly care about what you're telling us and what matters. And we are going to try to use that information to make a difference. So after we you know, get through that part first, we start looking at information when it comes in. So for the employee viewpoint survey, we have to wait a chunk of time uh, because it comes down from OPM and it comes through Treasury and all of the other government-wide agencies that participate in the viewpoint survey. Um, so that takes us a little bit of time, but when we get that information, we're eager to really slice and dice it in numerous ways so we can really find out what you're telling us and we can immediately use that information to build it into our annual leadership engagement action plan, which that sets the tone for all of our leaders on from the commissioner all the way through the organization, what our leaders truly commit to doing, the values that they bring around four main areas of open and honest communication, creating motivation by building relationships between employees and leaders, uh, representing diversity and inclusion, and really looking at not just the traditional DNI, but how we can look at open-mindedness and respecting each other's diversity of thought, diversity of opinion and experiences. And then finally, how we're empowering folks and recognizing folks, saying that the status quo isn't the only way that we can do things. You know, the old phrase, what got you there, what got you here isn't going to get you there. So that's really, really what we do. And we build our engagement action plans at the IRS level, and then we filter down and we go out and we help every one of our business units build their own plan. It's a little bit different with the Pulse surveys. Uh, with the Pulse surveys, since we own and implement that, we're looking at information on an hourly basis. So when you're taking those Pulse surveys and when you're especially using those open text questions and you're typing away with all of your thoughts, we have folks on my staff who are looking at that information every hour. So if we're seeing trends that are quickly arising, we're getting that information up to the human capital officer. We're getting it to your business unit commissioners. We're getting it sometimes even as far up as our deputy commissioners or the IRS commissioner so we can take quick and immediate action on that information. Mind if I jump in here, Duncan? Please do. Yeah, I, I want to ask you about something that has, uh, I think is, is how should I put this, has actually became a joke when the word engagement 
became a buzzword within both the the private and and public sectors. When uh, the IRS began the process of saying they wanted to be involved in engagement, of course, the big joke was, if we're going to be involved in engagement, then obviously we're going to have a lot more employee marriages. But uh, that that joke got old. So I think the problem that has and, uh, that I still see is that a lot of people don't really understand what the word engagement means in the context of what you do. So could you define that term for those listening, as far as how would how that word uh, is is used in your realm of work? Uh, so Larry, great question, and uh, I get asked this often. So I've actually looked it up, and if if you go to Google and do a quick search on employee engagement, I think you're going to, within 10 seconds, get between six to 10 different definitions of employee engagement. And they're going to talk about, you know, things from feeling that you're part of something, or my favorite one I hear is discretionary effort brought to work. Um, I'm not going to give you the fancy definition. I'm going to tell you what Andy thinks when he comes to work and lives and breathes employee engagement. Employee engagement is how we make you feel like you are valued. It's where you come to work knowing that you are an individual who is respected, that you play a vital role, and that you are valued every single day when you come to work, be it through peers, through supervisors, and understanding that important role that we all play to collectively make IRS successful. That's what employee engagement is to me, Larry. It's not fancy words or titles. It's really that sense of we're in something together and you're motivated. You wake up. You're not saying, oh, the alarm went off. I can't believe I got to get up and go to work. You're saying, I want to come in. I know that I do something important. There's going to be good days. There's going to be bad days. But I'm bought into what we're doing. I know that I'm important. And one follow-up to that, because it's not just engagement, but retention that's part of of what uh, your office is involved with. And and I'm seeing how uh, obviously the money has not been appropriated yet or approved, but there is an expectation that the service will be hiring. And when you hire, have particularly in large amounts, it's not just the ability to hire. That's one part of it. The other part of it is once these people are on board, can we retain the best people and keep them here? So retention is obviously a very big part of, of what you consider. And I'm curious, you know, I've worked not only as a, as a, a union official, my last six years of, of IRS employment, uh, I was a manager. And, and in both roles, I wondered sometimes, I mean, even the people within the management uh, realm whose job it is to try to encourage retention, the real, uh, the, where the rubber meets the road, uh, road there is whether or not the different operating divisions and people who are working uh, with the employees day in and day out are buying into the whole issue of retention and how important it is, especially in light of the possibility of some large hires in the coming years. Um, do you think that the service is ready to look at not just the uh, soaking up all these people, but making sure they these people are, are retained, the best people are kept with the service as they come on board? Larry, I absolutely believe that we are making headway in that area and that the message of why it's important to engage and retain our employees from day one of the employee life cycle until 
they decide that you know they've had enough with their career and they're going to move on to that next step in their life. I truly believe, and I see it happening on a weekly, monthly, and yearly basis, that we're moving in in the right direction. And one of the things that we thought was really important is back in 2017, we said we don't just want to focus on employee engagement. We can try to make people happy and feel good all the time and feel valued, but at the same time, we have to face the truths that there is an employee life cycle. We have the early career life cycle stage, we have the mid-career, and then we have the late career stage. And each one of those stages has different pressure points for retaining employees and what employees look for. And then we can take that further and break it down by um, some of the generational characteristics that also fit into where we have the intersection with those life cycle pieces. And we spend a lot of time looking at sentiment and we look at attrition. When we look at attrition, we obviously want to keep as many folks as we can because we have a great and talented workforce. When we look at retention sentiment, it's using all those feedback mechanisms we have and how we can use that information to come up with an actual metric where we can year to year and month to month track to say, on a scale of one to 100, and 100 being the top positive, where are we at any given point with the sentiment of our workforce? And not just say an IRS as a whole, we can look at that and try to figure out, you know, at individual business unit levels, or try to look at some of the other analysis points. So we can really try to focus in if there is a specific area that we see or are forecasting we could have a retention problem. So we can go in, work with local leadership, work with headquarters, and put those strategies in place. And what makes me thrilled is after six years of you know really being a champion for the cause of employee engagement and retention, I know that we haven't fixed everything, but we're going in the right direction when we've seen a 15% improvement in the overall engagement sentiment score that we have in the service. And when we look at our retention um, sentiment scores, we're going on a 10% uh, improvement on how good people are feeling about coming to work, being part of things. And at the same time, our attrition is slowly decreasing. So we haven't figured everything out. We never probably will figure out everything. But I think when I look at all those pieces together, we are turning heads in our direction and getting more and more of leadership to really say, this isn't just a passing fancy of engaging and re retaining employees. This is the real deal. And we're starting to really see that we're making a difference with employees, slowly but surely. Well, it's good to know that uh, that, that discussion is going on and that you're part of it with the management. I have one last question before I turn it back to Duncan. Um, I'm, the old, I'm the old guy of this group, senior member, if you will. Because I was vice president of Chapter 49 in the mid to late 90s. We had at that point a, an executive order from then President Clinton. We set up something uh, called a partnership. And another uh, was part of that is something called TQO, Total Quality Organization. What we used at that time was a form of process analysis. We would get joint teams together, management and, and uh, bargaining unit employees, it would study problem areas, try to come up with solutions. 
and some of those joint teams did very well. But I, uh, when I look back on that period, I think we may have you know beat our head against the wall at some points because we we might have been uh, in these joint efforts maybe too centered on the process itself and maybe less centered on getting to the solution of that that problem. And my question to you is, I doubt there are many people that are still left in management or even on the union side who were around in those days. Has anyone studied that period and gleaned any lessons learned from what happened during that period, that experience, if you will? Okay, so I I can tell you that there have always been those efforts that you're talking about, Larry, where we do kind of partnership pieces and we keep some good records. Um, I, I want to talk specifically about an effort that Duncan and I um, have been working on for, my gosh, the past six years, <laughs> I think. Uh, and that's when we stood up the uh, Leadership Engagement Action Planning Group. Uh, and Duncan referred to that earlier with, with the Leap G. Uh, that's the loving acronym we have for it. Um, essentially, the Leap G is we bring all of our business units together. And they have one representative who's designated by their business unit commissioner as the representative for uh, business unit and the voice of the business unit. We also opened it up and we have NTU who sits there as a full equal chair with me. That's where Duncan and I just started working together. Uh, and we also bring in um, organizations like the um, Federal Manager Association and the Professional Managers Association. Well, one of the early things that we did when we kicked off that team in February of 2015 is Duncan and I started forging that relationship, and we had some very long and intense conversations where we talked about this isn't something that we're doing in a vacuum when we're looking at what are the leadership strategies to keep the IRS engaging employees in successful one, three, five, ten years into the future. So Duncan and I spent a lot of time talking about a lot of the historical efforts that happened with previous partnerships uh, between NTU and IRS leadership. And we looked at, there were some great examples of, of uh, issues that were raised. There were ideas that at the time uh, were floated as potential solutions we could use. Maybe it wasn't the right time for them. But we said, we do not want to recreate the wheel. We want to take good ideas, issues that were raised maybe 10, 15 years ago, and not to say, well, that was a different time. That doesn't matter. No, you want to think about everything, look at things holistically. So then we can see how history dictates the future. And we can maybe avoid some of the same issues or build on things. And um, some of the things that we have been able to do, Duncan and I, uh, with all the other talented folks on the Leap G, um, we were actually recognized uh, by Google as a top worldwide best practice for uh, an effort we put together um, where we really focused in and created uh, an engaging and effective communication guide for leaders, where we understand that sometimes we have very technical leaders who may need a little bit of assistance on how they bridge the gap, uh, especially transitioning from a technical career into a leadership career, where they can learn how to speak and be comfortable with uh, employees and how to really maximize building relationships through conversations. Uh, So that's just one of the many things that we've been able to do. But Larry, to your question, I think that those early conversations that Duncan and I had about what the past has told us and past efforts help 
drive the direction we've gone into now six years later. And I'll let Duncan finish up the questions. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, you know, we've talked about and me being the Mr. Outside the Box on the uh, Leap G team, uh, always have been, always will be, is, you know, first off, I want everybody out there to know that when you're doing these, whether it's the FEVs, whether it's the pulse survey, A, please take them because they are looked at, but B, they are anonymous. You don't know who it is that's submitting this stuff, but everything is looked at. Would that be a correct statement, Andy? That is absolutely correct. And I can tell you the folks on my team who spend so much time digging through things, we make sure and we run everything through um, the privacy lens mm -hmm that we cannot find out who is specifically answering. And we have safeguards built in there so that we cannot figure out who is responding. There we go. And one of the things that I've always tried to do is how can we make managers into leaders and how can we make the leaders that we have better? And I think the Office of Engagement through the different things, again, whether it's taking a look at FEVs results, which to me is, you, you look for trends, but it's also a moment in time. So you're taking a look at, okay, let's identify these issues. Let's not necessarily be married to the question, but what's the issue that's it being raised by it and how can we do that with the pulse surveys that come up um, that your organization has done that gets to try to get to the heart of things in a day-to-day -day manner. Uh, you know, would you say that our efforts to help um, make better leaders are, are making headway there? It is absolutely making headway here, Duncan. Um, and the Pulse survey is really living proof of that. When we started this journey back in 2015, had I raised some of the, at times, outside the box thoughts about let's give open text questions. Let's just ask people in a pulse survey early in the pandemic how they're feeling, what we could do better to help them. I would have got a fair level of pushback in the past. But as the message has been going through and we've been really getting leaders at all levels to embrace what we're doing with our employee engagement message, uh, it made it so much easier when the pandemic came and in April of 2020, we were able to sit down with various levels of leadership and say, we need to let everyone know that we care. We need to give them an outlet to share how they're feeling, what they're thinking and what their concerns and fears are. And we really did something that we've never done before as IRS. And we opened up the slate so we would hear the good, the bad and the ugly. And I think that shows how much leadership is continuing to grow in the engagement world. So Andy, I know, I know you always have something coming up here. You were running out of, of time that we have with you. Uh, is there any last comment you'd like to make before we uh, move on? I think the last comment I would like to make is uh, just for everyone who's listening. Uh, I want to thank everyone in the IRS for the amazing work they do. Uh, oftentimes, People do not put two and two together and really understand the amount of service you do to help keep our country running. And I am proud to have you all as peers. And uh, it just floors me every day 
when I look at the dedication and the loyalty we all bring. So I just want to give a thank you to 80,000 strong people who do amazing work day in and day out. And uh, Duncan, anything you'd like to say to Andy Reitmeyer before we let him go? Uh, I appreciate you being able to carve out the time and the work that your team does is is very much appreciated. I know you don't hear that a lot, and I know that uh, oftentimes, uh, depending upon the level, you're meeting resistance from people who don't want to do things differently. We've always done it this way, but I truly appreciate you and your team, the way that you are trying to do things outside the box to change the agency for the better. So, Andy Reitmeyer, you are the IRS Engagement Officer in the Human Capital Office. We'll let you go on to your next meeting, and uh, thank you for your time. We've enjoyed talking to you. Hey, thank you both so much. It has been a pleasure and an honor. Thanks. Okay. And, uh, Duncan, you and I have just a few more things to talk about as Mr. Reitmeyer, Reitmeyer continues on to, with his next uh, discussion there. And having been in management, I know how that is going from one what used to have conference calls. Now they've been upgraded uh, technologically, I guess, as to how we do these. But, you know, Duncan, a couple of things we wanted to touch on before we, uh, let, before we wrap up this podcast. First of all, um, you, you want to remind people about what is needed now to be eligible for promotions or even uh, assignments like uh, classroom instructor training, uh, cl- uh, being a classroom instructor or an on-the-job instructor. You do have uh, kind of a responsibility of your on your own to update USA Jobs. And I know some people who have been around the service for a long time still are, are not real crazy about USA Jobs, but it is what it is. Talk about the importance of keeping that up to date and how one needs to, to get help if, if need be. Yeah, right now, Larry, we're looking at getting ready, especially if the Senate approves the vast majority of money that uh, has been asked for and approved by the House. Um they're going to be an awful lot of jobs out there. Some of them are going to be entry level, but they're going to be a lot of promotion jobs, a lot of jobs where you can start going into a different career ladder. When we had discussions at the bargaining table, at the IRS bargaining table, uh, we were told multiple times that, you know, if people want jobs and they qualify for them, they're going to get them. So I think it's vitally important that everybody realize that, you know, it's not the old way of doing things. Your manager's not going to let you know what jobs are coming up or don't be thinking it's going to be an executive. Make sure that you are on USA Jobs. Check the type of items that you may want to qualify for. Make sure your resume is up to date because even if you want to stay where you're at and if you enjoy the job that you have, there are going to be opportunities to be Um, get in the CIT so you can become an instructor if you'd like to do something like that, because there are going to be an awful lot of instruction jobs out there. There's going to be OJIs out the yin-yang at just about every uh, business unit because of the hiring they're anticipating. So I just want to make sure everybody realizes what they need to do to be ready for this and to be checking the USA job site uh, pretty regularly so if there's an opportunity out there that you want, that you avail yourself of it. And for some people who've been in the same job forever and maybe would think about either a promotion or one of these assignments you're talking about, like instructing an OJI, uh, are there any tricks of the trade? Are there any helpful um, 
hint, I don't want to say hints because it's really more than that. Uh, what what can people get as far as help into making sure you get that best foot forward? You put the USA Jobs resume and other data in a place where you would be competitive. There are all sorts of things on the IRS website on, um, on how to do your resume, how to take a look at the jobs, what you might qualify for. There is just a wealth of information. If anybody's looking for anything specifically, uh, as always, feel free to uh, email me I'll be, with what you're looking for. I'll be happy to send you out. They talk about, like I said, there's resume building. There's, um, you know, what jobs may qualify, keywords that uh, you may want to make sure. And um, it's always more difficult to talk about yourself and the things that you've done and to brag about yourself. But that's kind of the things that you need to do. Uh, when you're applying for these types of jobs, nobody knows what you do and nobody knows how to sell yourself better than you do. So anything that you, any tools that you can find that are out there that you can use to help you do that, I'm all for people using. Let me end this up with the EPL. We've talked about this kind of leave before. This is the kind of leave where there's only so much out there. And once the budget is gone for the entire federal government, it ends uh, what's the latest that we know about that? Yeah, it uh, emergency paid leave has been an interesting journey from start to finish. Uh, and we're not even close to being finished. I shouldn't even say finished. Um, it's one of those things where initially it was being approved, um, usually by a second level manager. Now these are all being funneled into the office of the chief financial officer, the CFO of the IRS because they're trying to collate everything so they can get it to OPM, who's controlling the purse strings on this. We haven't heard of anything yet, money running short, anything of that nature, but it's going to take longer to get approved than it normally would have just because of the fact that we don't know, you know what the timeframes are. And when you're funneling it into one office, it's going to take them longer to review them, send them up to OPM, and to get back. So sometimes it's not going to be on that paycheck. Sometimes they're going to have to do corrections to get those paid, that money to you. So I just want people to realize that that is very possibly going to happen. Well, Duncan, I must compliment Andy Reitmeyer for his willingness to come on and talk. I thought he gave a great presentation, discussed a lot of issues of importance to uh, people working for IRS. So I'll give you a, a chance to once again, make, just make the last comment uh, before we wrap this podcast up. Yeah. Like I said, I've known Andy a lot of years and that's why I thought he'd be a very good guest for our program. He true. He's one of those that truly believes in engagement. What you heard from him is exactly the type of actions that he does. He pushes hard at the uppermost levels of the IRS to make sure that the employees' voices are heard, that we get more leaders than managers, that they know how to treat employees, because he knows as well as anyone that the more employees are treated well, the longer they will stay. And that goes back to that retention issue. That is extremely important. Last point I want to make is, I, I know I hammer this almost every week, but uh, if you have not been vaccinated, please, please, please do. Um, that Delta variant is no joke. And I don't want to see anybody get caught up. I've, I've known a couple more people 
that have not gotten vaccinated that have gone into the hospital because of this. You don't want to see that type of thing. So please, you know, if you haven't been vaccinated, research it, make sure that it's the right choice for you. Talk to your medical professional and and get that taken care of so you can be around listening to us for a lot longer. Yeah, I think the one statistic that sticks out in my mind is the one that uh, is, keeps coming back every place where we've seen uh, uh, an uptick or a large number of new hospitalizations of people who have been hospitalized due to COVID, over 99% are unvaccinated. So I think that, that tells the story right there. Duncan, thank you so much, bud. We'll hopefully be back uh, with you next week. Uh, for our next edition of the podcast. So once again, we do thank you for listening. If you have any comments on this podcast, please email chapter 49 at our email address, nteu49 at aol.com. That's nteu49 at aol.com. The Chapter 49 podcast is a weekly offering, at least most weeks, and we appreciate the many kind comments we have received from you our listeners. So until our next podcast, please be safe and be kind. Hey.